Welcome to another episode of Bobcast. With you, as always, is Bob, live in the lounge, staring at the Ouija board. You know, sometimes in life, there's a film or a series of films or a trilogy that, like, speaks to you on a human level. You know, like, it resonates with you and it becomes, like, a byproduct of yourself or, like, a religion or a thought process or an ideology or just way of life, dude, you know? And, um... I think I was nine years old when I first saw Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And I'll never forget um, the moment that I saw... Well, actually, the funny story is it was a birthday party. And I think it was a birthday party for... I'm going to say Brett Pomerantz, which I'm not sure what happened to him. I think I saw him at the reunion, but I was pretty drunk. But um, the Plymouth Mini Mall had two movie theaters inside of it where the food court used to be. And... um, or excuse me, where the food court is now, that's where the movie theater was, and had two slots. And uh, this particular weekend, it was Brett's birthday, and he was having his birthday party there, and there was The Burbs with Tom Hanks and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And, dude, I wanted to see Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure so bad. I was totally into MTV at this point. I was wearing my mom's robes and, uh, like, new T-shirt and a Freddy Krueger hat from Halloween and jumping around my couch thinking I was a rock star and just loving everything that had to do with rock and roll. And I was very upset when Brett made a decision to see the Burbs instead of Bill and Ted. Oddly enough, I love the Burbs, but that's not what this podcast is about. Um, I saw Bill and Ted a few weeks later, and dude, it had everything, man. Like, it had every element of what I wanted in a film. I love history. I I was a social studies teacher and I really liked history because it was basically just telling stories. I really didn't give a shit about education at all. I just like to tell stories and connect with people, you know? And the way that Bill and Ted travel through time and, you know, pick up all these historical figures to come back to his high school to <laughs> partake in this amazing finale, it just, it, it, it struck a chord with me, you know? Like, it just was so ingrained in me you know and like I didn't even know how to play an instrument at that point but I knew that music had a calling for me and then Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey came out in I believe 1991 and I loved the color aesthetic of that film I loved death death was like amazing William Sadler was just a delight to watch and there were so many elements of that film that really stuck with me too as well station like what a crazy fucking thing but I mean like when something's great station you know, when you're celebrating something, station. And I love the message of the film, and I love its overall positivity, and I love the fact that, you know, they get together at the end of the film, and, you know, their their music is broadcast throughout the world, and it all seems like it's ending well. But, you know, something about, like, films, too, is, like, when they are so betrodden to you, and there's a massive cult following, you don't want the characters ever to go, go away. You want them to come back, kind of like with Dumb and Dumber 2, And I'm going to use that as an example as we go through this review of Bill and Ted Face the Music of what they got right and what 
the Fairley brothers got wrong. Um, when you're making another installment to a beloved franchise, you want to make sure that you got all the elements right. You want to make sure that you are, you know, presenting these characters, these classic characters in a way that, you know, um, accentuates their legacy, right? And uh, I returned home from a camping trip late last night. And the whole time I was camping, I was like, man, I can't wait to get home to watch Bill and Ted fix the music. And, um, you know, I watched the film last night. And I'm just going to say right off the bat, you know, I absolutely loved it, man. I did not expect to get so emotional during it. Um, and I was really, I, 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 was, I was so happy that like the plot emulated the positivity and the, you know, be excellent to each other, like philosophy. It just makes you feel good when you're watching it, you know, and there's so many elements of the film that we'll get into. This uh, podcast will be uh, filled with spoilers. So if you haven't seen Bill and Ted face the music, perhaps you should find your own time machine and skip ahead to the future. When they announced that this would happen, I believe it was 2010. They said Bill and Ted was going to come back and it took that long, dude, for somebody to get the money together to make this picture, which is just so insane too. Cause it's just like, it's a surefire hit, you know, but I guess they really wanted to get the script right too. And that's an important aspect. And what better way to dive into the, the, the second sequel, Bill and Ted face the music by presenting the, the problem that Bill and Ted never did solve the world. They never brought the world together. They never um, fixed everything. There is no world peace. There is no unity. They're still trying to find the song and, the opening of the film is just wonderful how they, you know, their careers, you know, went all sorts of different directions and, you know, they went from playing, you know, uh, large, you know, stadiums, uh, the Grand Canyon to, you know, playing dive bars and open mics and stuff like that. And they're, they, we, we meet them and they're at a wedding and it's funny because Missy is now getting married to the younger brother of, of, uh, I believe Bill. And it was just great to see like all these like, you know, canon characters from the franchise come back. And it was great to see Bill and Ted do a song together, utilizing all sorts of instruments from all over the world, which kind of shows, you know, like their character too, like how much they care. Like they want to make sure that they include everybody. And I love that philosophy, you know, make sure you include everybody and make sure everybody has an instrument so they can partake. I think that that is just something so special that's captured in the film and, um, you know, to present it with this problem, you know, and all of a sudden all these historical figures start popping up out of time. And I thought that was interesting. I was like, wow, what a cool, like little thing they're doing here. Like Jesus is popping up, uh, you know, in, in 2020. And it was just great that like, you know, there was like this sense of, um, you know, doom in the future. And I love the fact that uh, I, let me see if I can bring up her name. She was on last man at earth and she, she portrays, um, George Carlin's daughter, and Bill and Ted face the music. And man, I just thought she was wonderful. It's uh, Kristen Schau. And uh, she comes and she's like, look guys, I mean, you didn't do it. And now things are getting really bad. And the great leader in the future, she basically wants to get rid of you guys because she doesn't think that you are the ones that are capable of achieving world peace. And, you know, she says that her father believed so much in them and that they should go back, you know, and it's also great seeing Ted's dad too. And that, there's a plot line in there too, where like Ted's, you know, dad still says to him, like, look, you never went back in time. You're never going to, you know, solve the world's problems. You're crazy. And I loved at the end of the film too, when he says to him, he just basically comes full circle and is like, you're right. You're super talented son. Everything about you. I was wrong. You know, I got him getting fucking emotional. talking about this shit. 
um, I just loved it, you know. I love the fact that they go back through time and they're visiting, you know, different variations of themselves through daughter universes. And that was an interesting element for the fun and games aspect of the script. You know, the middle of a movie is full of fun and games, like things for your character to do that the audience enjoys. And I thought that was a great, you know, segue into how they were trying to achieve this by hijacking the, stealing the song from themselves in the future. I thought it was hysterical. And, um, you know, it was great meeting Bill and Ted's kids, you know. Um, the actresses, uh, both of them were in um, recent films that I've seen. Um, let's see, Samara Weaving, she was in Ready or Not, which was a okay horror film. And Bridget Lundy Payne is on the show Atypical. And I, I think she plays Ted's daughter, and I think she's a, a talented actress. And I loved, absolutely fucking loved their subplot of going back and helping their dad's build an awesome band and you know from like you know ah man it's just so good like you know (sighs) Jimi hendrix you know kid coody i'm just reading now i'm i'm online right now i'm looking this up and it's did win butler play somebody from arcade fire in the film I don't know, but I mean, just the fact that, you know, you got Louis Armstrong, you got Jimi Hendrix, you got Mozart, we're traveling back and we're getting prehistoric drummers. I loved it because that like showcases a little bit of the first film too, like bringing this band back to this band of people together and something about the Louis Armstrong, Jimi Hendrix moments were so emotional towards me. I was just like, oh man, this is just beautiful, you know, like the idea, like when they're playing the notes or like Jimi Hendrix doesn't believe that it's Louis and he starts like killing it on his instrument in that like uh, venue hallway I just thought that was just amazing you know it's just like oh wow like the power of music bringing people together from different eras and like look let's let's give props right off the bat too to uh, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter like they were so good they were so good showing gravitas towards these characters you know there's this moment in the film that oh man it just hit me so hard like it's in the first act and it's like, you know, they're really down and out in themselves. You know, their wives are upset with them that they're still trying to create this song after so many years. And it's just, it's not working for them, you know. And uh, they're in the garage and Ted says to Bill, you know, I spoke to a guy at the pawn shop and he wants to give me like 6000 bucks for the Les Paul. And like Bill looks at him and knows in that moment that Ted doesn't want to make music no more. And he says, I'm tired, dude. And fuck, man, that really got me, man got me so bad like oh I identify with that so much because it's like I'm 40 years old I was in a bunch of bands and it never worked you know it never fucking it never took off like um, I wanted it to you know and um, I always had this sense of um, you know sense of uh, not accomplishing something and I you know like it's it's a hard thing when you're a musician too because it's like you're sharing this special intimate part of your soul with like audiences you know and like it's great when an audience like picks up on it you know and like I had that with Downtown Harvest I had you know lots of people say that the music you know helped them or they felt something towards it and you know like the first album's very special to people and like I know how that feels you know and like man, I also know how it feels not to get to where you want to go, you know, and like, (laughs) it was just, it was 
need to see that, like see that in the film right now, you know, because it's like we're all fucked up right now with COVID and like you know, my grandma's in a nursing home and I'm pretty sure she's dying. She's ninety eight, and if you know me, you know I love my grandma and you know I would do anything to be there with her, you know, and like I've just been struggling, you know, in my personal life a lot right now, dealing with the fact that I can't go and be with her. So yeah, it fucking sounds silly, but you know, it's the truth, man. This film fucking made me feel good. You know, it made me fucking, it just made me feel, you know, love, you know, like, uh, it's hard to explain, but it's like, sometimes it's good to fucking laugh, you know, like when you're feeling so down and out, there's nothing better than laughing, you know, like to feel, you know, that, that joy of life, you know, come back flooding in through all the cavities of pain that we endure as humans, you know, and like this fucking movie did that for me, man, you know, I, and I woke up this morning, I was just like, Jesus Christ, I didn't think I would have such a reaction, you know, like, but I did, and you know, I'm probably gonna watch it again tonight, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, oh man, it just felt good, you know, it felt good to, um, to see these characters again, you know, and, um, I love that, you know, I love when, when, um, a movie can elicit these feelings, you know, it's just, it's, it's special, you know, like there's these films and like, it, it happens, like some people at Star Wars, like, and I get that, you know, like it's so emotional. It's like, I never had it with Star Wars, but fuck dude, I got it with Bill and Ted Hardcore. I got it with the Rocky series, you know what I mean? Like the films you see when you grow up and then you grow old and then you reflect upon them and who you are in the present versus the past. That's what Bill and Ted do so well, you know? The film does a great job of, like, you know, also, like, you know, um, just, like, all these great subplots, you know? Like, Ted doesn't like himself in the future, you know? Like, he doesn't like future Ted. He doesn't like talking. He gets bad feelings and bad vibes. They go to the house and there's this awesome, you know, appearance from Dave Grohl and, like, you know, it... it, it a lot of times you don't like yourself in life, you know, you do shit that like, you're like, man, why did I do that? You know, like, why did I say that at that party? And why did I have somebody, you know, why did I hurt somebody's feelings like that? You know? And it's like, I get that, you know, he didn't always enjoy himself. And like, there's a moment in the film where like they, for, he forgives himself, you know, they did. Well, Bill and Ted both forgive themselves and like, God, dude, like I'm kind of going through that right now in my life, like forgiving myself for, you know, things that I didn't do or, you know, and like did do or didn't do and like how, um, you know, I reacted towards, you know, my, um, decisions. Our life isn't always meant to be so perfect. You know, it's like, it's weird, you know, it's, it's just it's strange. And it's like, this film has so many elements of that, you know, and it's silly and it's goofy and, you know, it, it is what it is. And it's like, I don't know how to explain it to you unless you're a Bill and Ted fan. You know what I'm talking about exactly. Um, I want to talk about a character named um, Dennis Caleb. Excuse me, Dennis Caleb McCoy. And uh, this this uh, character was a robot from the future. It was portrayed brilliantly by Anthony Kerrigan, whom I've seen, I believe, on um, Gotham and Barry. But um, he had some great moments and like I start realizing, oh, he's the station of this film, you know, like he's this, the comedic relief, you know, and like he, spoilers, whatever, you know, like he kills um, Bill and Ted's kids and then he kills Ted and Bill and 
they they all go to the hell to <laughs> reunite with death. And I loved the moment when we find out that Death quit the band and he was doing 40-minute drum, or excuse me, bass solos. And, like, you know, there's this room where he has the Wild Stallions jacket. And even up on the left, there's the battleship case that they originally played in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And they have this moment, man, where, like, they get the band back together. And, God, dude, I welled up then, too. You know, I was trying to get my band back together before COVID and stuff, and it just didn't happen. And probably will never happen at this point. Who knows? But, I mean, like... God, it felt so good, you know, to see everybody together, you know, and it just felt amazing. And like, man, I had so many, so many great feelings like watching this, you know, like um, watching this reunion. And then like, you know, the whole, t- whole movie, like, you know, it, it, we find out that they have 77 minutes to get it together and write this song. And like, you know, I, I start thinking about too, as a musician, like when you're a musician, you're faced with this enormous responsibility of writing a song so fast, that's a hit there's so much pressure on you. You know what I mean? Like I remember when we were recording like uh, Discovering Dinosaurs with Downtown Harvest. There wasn't many songs that I, f- I felt were like real good hits. You know, I know Shimmy was a big hit, but I just didn't feel like there was a bunch of other ones. And I put a lot of pressure on myself to like write shit and just never came out right. You know, so I was feeling the anxiety too with Bill and Ted trying to get this together in 77 minutes. And then they get this like, you know, USB drive from their future selves. And dude, I cried again in this scene, you know, because I believe that Bill and excuse me, Keanu and Alex Winter, by the way, it was so great to see Alex Winter again. I've seen Keanu Reeves, you know, numerous films throughout, you know, the last 30 years. But Alex, you know, did a bunch of documentaries and was wonderful in The Lost Boys and other early 90s, uh, late 80s films. But he was great and he had such great acting, you know, like in these scenes with their old selves, you know, and. You know, they hand him this USB and it's like, there's all this information on there. And like the mile, um, I think, you know, it tells you like, uh, you know, the moment they recorded it. And it also tells you, um, what does it say? Um, um, the mile marker that uh, the dudes record the song at. I think it was 47, I'm not sure, but um, uh, or 77, maybe. Maybe, I don't know. But anyway, you know, like I'm going to watch it again because <laughs> I'll probably be thinking that. But, um, yeah, just, you know, it's just such a crazy thing that they get this piece of information. And then, like, you know, they keep, they keep trying to find, um, I'm not going to look it up right now because it gets so distracting when I try to talk and read off the internet at the same time. But, yeah, they try to get everything together. And, um, you know, at the end of the film, you know, it turns out that they're trying, you know, um, they all, like, or this mile marker and, like, everyone's together Bill and Ted find out that their kids have, you know, brought this huge band together, you know, all these famous historical figures that are awesome musicians, you know, and I love, like, I don't know much of Kid Cudi's music and stuff, but now I may just check him out because I thought he was brilliant in the film. Like, he was a modern day station, knew everything, especially when it came to, like, this infinity thing where they they go and give every single musician through or everybody throughout time an instrument so they could play along. And it was just amazing, you know, like, and then the moment, like, really that, Damn, dude, it got me so good. Is like, oh man, the part where Bill and Ted realize that it's not them that makes this song, but instead it's their daughters that does it, dude. Oh my god, dude. I usually don't get emotional on the podcast, but Jesus Christ, dude. You know, I'm a dad, and like. I can't tell you that thought hasn't crossed my mind a few times that maybe he will be the one that, you know, my son Tyler will be the one that, you know, 
finishes it for me, you know, or does something that profoundly impacts people around, you know, the world or something like as a musician, you know, that's what you want. You want people to feel that shit, you know, and I'm so tired of working with musicians who are like, you know, um, against that, you know, like why, who wants to be an artist to not have their work shown? So this moment is just so special to me. And then like, you know, as it comes together and you find out, okay, it's not a song. It's like a jam session and it's a feeling and it's like a, it's just a chord, like, you know, like it's a beats per minute. It's a, it's a song in C or C sharp. I'm not really sure, but like, you know, it, it's just something about that too. It was like so beautiful, you know, like that everybody could figure out a way to, to, to play along together. And then dude, at 7.17 PM, which is... T- now the new 1111 for me, I guess. When Bill and Ted rip into that guitar solo in the key of C or whatever, like, oh man, dude, it was just such a great ending, you know? And like, I love the film. And um, I want to share my raw feelings like right off the bat because, you know, if you're listening to this, I know you're a Bill and Ted fan and I know they mean a lot to you. And uh, damn, dude. I can't believe I'm getting this emotional about fictional characters. You know, it's like anything that makes you feel something, anything that makes you feel a connection, it doesn't matter if it's fiction or nonfiction. It still is real. You know, that post credit scene too. What a fucking beautiful way to end the trilogy, you know? And they did it so well, you know, they did it so well portraying themselves as old men the body language, everything about it. And the way they shred it, man, that one last time, what a great ending, you know, that they're still together doing their thing on their deathbeds, you know? And uh, I just thought it was beautiful, you know? And um, I can't wait to watch it again. And uh, I hope everybody um, enjoys the rest of their day or evening, depending on when you're listening to this. And just always remember, be excellent to each other. My name's Bob. This has been another episode of Bobcast.